The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. I kind of feel like I'm about to give this talk on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I'm not sure what the house is about, and if you guys are wondering, we can't answer that. We have no idea. We walked in and we were like, what is that? So anyway, ignore the house. Um, and I've got to say, for those of you who have never been to Sporkle.com, which is what they're talking about or doing for the announcements, don't go because you will end up wasting a lot of time there when you're trying to write a talk. I mean, you'll end up wasting a lot of time there when you're trying to study for class. Seriously, just don't go. I feel badly that I even introduced it to the university ministry's office. I should never have gone there to begin with. Anyway, my name's Becky, by the way, and I'm on staff here with university ministries. For those of you who don't know me, and I love my job. It's a great job. Um, and for those of you who have been coming this summer, you know that we're going through the book of Exodus Uh, The series is Trusting God, Rules from Relationship in Exodus. And Exodus is a fancy word for exit. Uh, It's it's really a long road trip for the Israelites, and we're going to talk about that uh, this evening. Uh, How many of you have ever been on a road trip? Almost everybody? Okay, that's good. I also have been on quite a few road trips. In fact, I just went to Spokane last week. I brought my dog, best dog in the world, Kitsu. Why didn't I bring a picture? Dang it. Um, if you haven't met Kitsu, come to the office tomorrow. She'll be there. Um, I brought my dog and my mother to Spokane to, <laughs> best mom in the world, to uh, visit my brother. And um, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but the more people in your travel party, the longer it takes to get somewhere. I swear when I go to Spokane by myself, it's like four hours flat, no problem. But when I have my mom and Kitsu, there's a few more stops. You know, it ended up taking like five and a half hours. It was a little ridiculous, but it was actually nice to have the company. Group travel is kind of hard. It takes longer. Um, And actually, last summer, it's not a road trip, but last summer I had the opportunity to go to Greece to do a Journeys of Paul trip with Mike Gaffney and Sherry Gaffney, who used to be on staff here. And um, like I said, it's not a road trip, but there were about 40 of us. So it was definitely group travel, not quite like Exodus, where there were like two million of them. But there were 40 of us. And that's a lot of people. As you know, it's kind of like a lot of hurry up and wait, hurry up, get to the place and then wait for people to be ready to go. Um, And to be honest, when I'm in groups like that, I hate to be the person that's slowing the group down. Like I always want to be the first one ready so that I'm not the one that everybody's like, oh, my gosh, can we just go already, Becky? So I'm always like very conscious of taking every opportunity to go to the bathroom, etc. And I did that. We're, um, we're traveling by bus most of our trip in Greece. And um, we had some pretty long bus trips. Emily Vansel was on, was on the uh, trip with us. She knows what I'm talking about. So we stop at a, um, what was basically the equivalent of a rest stop. There's food there, there's bathrooms. And I'm like, I don't have to go to the bathroom, but I'll go just in case. You know, I just got to make sure I don't have to go later. You guys probably know where this story's going. And so I get back on the bus and like half hour down the road, I'm like, I kind of already have to go to the bathroom again. Hope that feeling goes away. You guys have probably experienced that. Like, uh uh-oh, I hope that that doesn't turn into something more major. And then like an hour down the road, I'm like, 
okay, I really have to go to the bathroom. And you know what you how you like distract yourself? You're like, okay, think about something other than having to go to the bathroom. Think about something other than having to go to the bathroom. Like, look out the window. It's so beautiful. Everybody on the bus with me is like, oh, look at that rock formation. Because we're traveling up to Meteora, which is one of the largest Greek monasteries in the world. I actually have a picture. Um, there's a whole bunch of these monasteries like this up on the cliffs. And even just the rock formations themselves are beautiful. Um, but we're traveling up this huge mountain. And there's another picture that you can turn to. It's, you can see that we had to climb up quite a ways. And so about an hour after that rest stop, I'm calling up to Mike and Sherry at the front of the bus. Um, Mike, Sherry, um, do you know how much longer? And our tour guide's like, just a few more minutes. Because she talked just like that. She had the highest voice in the entire world. We will be there very soon. And I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> What's soon mean? Um, okay. And then like 15 more minutes. And I call it to Mike and Sherry. And I'm like, um, you're going to want to stop the bus because I don't want to have to clean this up. Okay. <laughs> you can, dr- I, I was serious. You can leave me by the side of the road and come back and get me. I don't care. Just get me off this bus. I have to go pee. And I had to be that person. And so they finally stopped the bus, and I'm running off the bus, and actually this guy who really had to go but was just unwilling to say it was running off behind me. It was like one of the best moments of my life was running behind that tree <laughs> to go to the bathroom. Okay, so anyway, and I've got to say, it got me thinking about the story of the Exodus and, like, where did they go to the bathroom in the desert? There's not a lot of trees to hide behind. Seriously, have you ever thought about that? No? Well, only me, huh? Okay. Uh, that's not actually what we're going to talk about tonight, believe it or not, uh, is how the Israelites went pee in the desert. Um, but what we are going to do is take a look at the story of the Exodus. Um, Exodus is one of the most important stories I was going to end the sentence with in the Old Testament, and then I was like, scratch that, in the, in the Bible. And then I scratched that. It's one of the most important stories in the history of the world, and I'm not exaggerating. It is a foreshadowing of what happens on the cross, and it's essential to understanding the rest of the Old Testament, the history of mankind. I mean, DreamWorks made a movie about it, so it's pretty important. See what I'm saying? The importance of knowing and understanding the story of the Exodus, I don't think it can be overstated. So if you're tempted to tune out, don't. Because it's pretty, it's a pretty important story for us to, to look at. And as we look at this story, we're going to be asking these three questions that I'll put up there for you. What do we learn about God in this narrative? Or, who's God? What do we learn about ourselves through this story? Who are we? And how do we live in response to who God is and who we are? Or, so not what? I like to simplify. Uh, before we get too far into this, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, we do pray that uh, you would have our attention today. Lord, that we would be listening to what you have to say to each one of us. Lord, that you would move me out of the way and that you would speak to your people tonight. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I want to start this story looking at the Exodus by putting ourselves into the story. And to do that, I want you to think about a time when you felt stuck or trapped Like, you were in a situation you just felt like you couldn't get out of. So maybe it's a romantic relationship. Uh, Maybe it's an addiction or a class or a job that you just abhorred. Uh, Maybe it's just family dynamics that you just feel like you cannot change no matter how hard you try. Anytime you felt like you were stuck, 
This is how the Israelites felt. They were stuck. They were trapped in bondage to the situation they were in. So you are an Israelite. You are experiencing that feeling of being stuck, of being trapped at the time of slavery in Egypt. You've never known anything other than being a slave in Egypt, and neither have your parents. It's not like your parents were saying, are saying, hey, dude, we just got here a couple of years ago. Oh, you should have seen what it was like before. They've never known anything. You've never known anything but being a slave in Egypt. And you feel stuck. It feels much like the situation I just had you think about. And then all of a sudden, or at least it feels like all of a sudden, you and all of your people, your two million friends and family, and by the way, some Egyptians, which is interesting, but we won't get into that, are led by Moses out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, and across a sea without a boat, by the way, to freedom. Um, I mentioned the DreamWorks movie, The Prince of Egypt, and we've been talking about it. We brought it up like every week this summer, and I'd never seen the movie. I actually fell asleep watching uh, the credits, the opening credits in Alaska, because <laughs> I was just that tired, as people who have been to Alaska understand. Um, so I'd never seen it, so I actually rented it in preparation for this talk. And to give us a picture of what it looked like, kind of, to go across the Red Sea, um, I am going to show you, Bill is going to play for you, the uh, what it probably looked like. I'm pretty sure this is a realistic rendition of what it looked like when Moses put down his staff and parted the sea. All right, all right. I know we all want to finish watching the entire movie, but we just don't have time for that. The uh, the Egyptians, they tried to follow him, and they all drowned. And by the way, wasn't that a cool whale or shark? They just, I don't even remember that part in the Bible. But um, according to Nolan, who probably doesn't know, it was a manatee. Um, by the way, that's some of the best animation in the entirety of that film. It's amazing how far we've come in about 10 years in animation. After watching that movie, I was awed. Um, but again, let's put ourselves in that story. The story, what we just watched, the deliverance. The deliverance of the people of God. The deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt. We're imagining ourselves in the story and we get across at least as I imagine myself, I get across the dry land that used to be water and is now water again, and I'm just like, that just happened. That just happened, which is my favorite part of Talladega Nights is when he says, that just happened. Um, And seriously, I think that's all I can say is that just happened. And I probably am going around telling everybody what just happened. Can you believe that just happened? Were you there? Did you see that? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at one person's response when they when word got around about what God had done to deliver the Israelites. We're gonna look at the first part of Exodus 18. I'm gonna go ahead and throw that up there. Jethro, priest of Midian and father-in-law to Moses, heard the report of all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his people. The news that God had delivered Israel from Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken in Zipporah, Moses' wife, who had been sent back home, and her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, sojourner, for he had said, I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. The name of the other was Eliezer, God's help, because the God of my father is my help and saved me from death by Pharaoh. Jethro, 
Moses' father-in-law, in case you've forgotten, brought Moses, his sons, and his wife there in the wilderness where he was camped at the mountain of God. He had sent a message ahead to Moses, I, your father-in-law, am coming with to you with your wife and two sons. Moses went out to welcome his father-in-law. He bowed to him and kissed him. Each asked the other how things had been with him. Then they went into the tent, and Moses told his father-in-law the story of all that God had done to Pharaoh and Egypt in helping Israel and the trouble they had experienced on the journey and how God had delivered them. Jethro was delighted in all the good that God had done for Israel in delivering them from Egyptian oppression. Jethro said, Blessed be God who has delivered you from the power of Egypt and Pharaoh, who has delivered his people from the oppression of Egypt. Now I know that God is greater than all gods because he's done this to all those who treated Israel arrogantly. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, mind you, brought a whole burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron, along with all the elders of Israel, came and ate the meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Did uh, You probably noticed how many times it mentioned father-in-law, but did you notice how many times it mentioned God's salvation in those 12 verses? You probably weren't counting because you were too distracted counting father-in-laws. Five times in 12 verses, and that doesn't even count when it talks about God's help or God's saving um, Israel. Five times in 12 verses, they hearken back to, they remember God's deliverance of Israel. And I think that's a good lesson for us, to remember God's faithfulness. About six years ago, I experienced the importance of remembering God's faithfulness. I was going through a time in my life, basically a whole bunch of circumstances happened within two months, back to back to back, that just made me feel like, well, like I was in bondage, like I didn't have anything to cling to. Everything was crumbling around me. Long story short, my friend had told me she was moving away, and my mentor told me she was moving away, and I just graduated, and I had no idea what I was going to do for a job. And actually, the job I applied to, which was here, I didn't get. And my dog died. (laughs) And I found out that I was being sent to Kyrgyzstan, which was about the last place on Earth I wanted to go for World Deputation, which is their summer mission program. Long story short, I just felt like everything I knew I could trust. I couldn't trust anymore. Um, But the thing that got me through that time was that right before that, seriously, February 2nd of that year, um, I had told my testimony. I had shared my story of God's faithfulness at a winter retreat. Um, I was being baptized and had the opportunity to share my story and remember God's faithfulness in my life. And I wrote it out. I remember writing out all the details of, of how God had delivered me to that place in in life. And I I do believe that's what got me through remembering God's faithfulness throughout all of those things that I just told you that ended up happening in February and March of that year. It was a reminder, the, the sharing of my story was a reminder that it's not about my faith at all, but it's about God's faithfulness in our lives. I I want that to be an encouragement to you, kind of like a little aside here, to write out your own story sometime. It can be really powerful, and you think like, well, it's my story, I know it, why would I need to write it down? But it can be really powerful to write it down and just take time to remember ways God has been faithful in your life. 
Just as the, the Israelites recognized and remembered God's deliverance, I encourage you to take some time to look back on the ways that God has been faithful in your life. And I think this is a good time to, to ask this question. Do you see the parallel between the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites and the story of Jesus on the cross? One way that we can remember God's faithfulness is by remembering what God did for us in Jesus. On the cross, redemption and deliverance were embodied by Jesus as he conquered sin and death and the devil. We ask the question, who is God? God is one who is faithful, who delivered the Israelites and is actively delivering us through Jesus. And this summer we've been talking about how relationship with God is necessary before we can even talk about the rules that God has for us. Well, Jesus is the one who restores for us the opportunity to be in relationship with God. He delivers us back into relationship with God. And while the Israelites, back to our story, were rejoicing in what God had done, they're also a little confused, and I don't blame them. When I think about the fact that I would have only known making bricks every single day of my life, or maybe stacking bricks, or maybe getting Pharaoh something to eat, and that is all I did every single day of my life, and now all of a sudden I've been delivered into freedom. And we're supposed to live as a society without anyone telling us what to do. I think I would have a lot of questions. I think I would be confused and a little bit lost. How am I supposed to interact with these people? And how am I supposed to interact with this God that suddenly I've become aware of? I've had someone telling me what to do and where to go for my entire life. I would have questions about how to live with God. And we're going to see in the rest of Exodus 18 that they did have a lot of questions. It says, the next day, Moses took his place to judge the people. People are standing before him all day long, from morning to night. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for his people, he said, what's going on here? Why are you doing all of this? And all by yourself, letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me with questions about God. When something comes up, they come to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and teach them God's laws and instructions. Moses' father-in-law said, This is no way to go about it. You'll burn out and the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Now listen to me. Let me tell you how to do this so God will be in this with you. Be there for the people before God, but let the matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions, to show them how to live, what to do. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible, and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousand, by the hundred, by fifty, and by ten. They'll be responsible for the everyday work of judging among the people. They'll bring the hard cases to you, sure, but in the routine cases, they'll be the judges. They will share your load, and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work this way, you'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you, and the people in their settings, will flourish also. They have so many questions. They're just like probably waking up and like, I better go get in line to talk to Moses to ask him my questions because I'm going to be there all day. It's like going to Magic Mountain where I'm going to be next week. And you, you get in line and you wait two hours just to like ask your question. So 
they have all these questions. They're uncertain. How do we treat each other? It's the questions I posed earlier. Who are we now that we are free people? And how are we supposed to live? What are we supposed to do now? So they're pretty smart. They ask the guy that's talked directly to God. God has spoken directly to Moses. And so they say, Moses, we've got some questions. And I imagine some of their questions might be, um, so Moses, since I've been delivered and set free, do I have to share my manna with that guy? Because he's kind of weird. Moses, what does God's voice even sound like? Moses, are you sure we're going the right way? So now that we're living in a relationship with God, who delivered us, how do we settle our disputes? Is it any different? What does it look like to worship a God who wants to be in relationship with us, Moses? Now that we're set free, does that mean I can do whatever I want? That's what freedom is, right, Moses? Hey, Moses, can I borrow that staff for just a minute? That would be the question I would ask. Seriously, I just want to see if it will work for me. Maybe that's just me, though. I'm a little bit of a smart aleck sometimes. Moses, though, he gets some help from Jethro. And he appoints some other Israelites to be teachers, so he doesn't have to answer every single mundane question. But i got to say, you got to give the Israelites some credit. They're, they're not just trying to be annoying to Moses. They have legitimate questions. They have experienced God's deliverance. They have seen how God has been faithful. God delivered us through water, without a boat. God provided food, manna for us when we were hungry, and he provided water when we thought there was none. They're traveling through the wilderness, and they seem to know, okay, I think we're on the right road, but I want to make sure I know how to reorient myself in light of the new circumstances. I can't blame them for having a lot of questions. Speaking of the right road, a couple of you know, that I actually had the chance to go to Chicago a couple of weeks ago, so I wore my Wrigley Field shirt in in memory of that. And one thing that I made sure to bring, I went with Janie, who some of you know, and I made sure to bring my Magellan. I shouldn't say my Magellan, because it's actually my dad's. It's one of those GPS things that magically knows where you are and magically knows where you should be. And... um you put in the address and it tells you where to turn and all of that good stuff. So I give that to my dad for Christmas, but he's a little electronically challenged. And I guess I forgot that when I gave that to him. And so he never, ever uses it. So I keep it in my car. And I, I swear I did not have that intention when I gave it to him. I thought he would enjoy it. I think he did too, but he's just, it's really confusing for him. Anyways, we were in Chicago. I made sure to bring it. Because we didn't know where we were going. We didn't want to print out directions ahead of time. We wanted to be able to say, hey, Madge, which is what we called her on the trip, because she was like a third party. Where's the nearest Starbucks? Stuff like that. And she magically would be able to tell us. And one of the things that those GPS units do, for those of you who've never used one, or at least this one does, um, is when you're on a road and there's an intersection, or I should say an interchange ahead, it will tell you, like, don't take that interchange. What What Madge says is, stay on the current road in 1.1 miles. So, for instance, if you're heading north on I-5 and you get to that part where you could take 405, but you're not sure, she'll tell you, remain on the current road. And she doesn't just tell you once. She tells you like six times. In 1.1 miles on Interstate 5, remain on the current road. Okay, and in Chicago, they've got a lot more interstates than we have here. So it's not just like I-5, 405, 520, and 90. It's like every five seconds there's another interchange, and she's telling us, remain on the current road. 
She wants us to stay on the right road. Don't be distracted by these other opportunities to get off. You think you need to go west now, but trust me, this is a faster way, is what Madge is telling us. Stay on the current road. You're on the right road. Don't get off just yet. I'll tell you when it's time. By the way, did you know what that, that, that is what it means to be blessed? To be on the right road. To be headed the right direction. We are blessed as we move toward God. So God has blessed the Israelites and they want to be sure they know how to live in light of that blessing. They kind of know, hey, we're on the right road, but are you sure we're not supposed to turn here pretty soon? I'm a little confused by this God. From here, they're going to move to the base of Mount Sinai, which is where God will give them the Ten Commandments through Moses, which we've all heard of the Ten Commandments, and we're going to be talking about them more this quarter. These are the commandments that we've, as we've said this whole quarter, we, we follow them not because that is a requirement for being in relationship with God. We follow them out of response to the relationship we already have with God. We're on the right road, and God says, let me give you guys some boundaries so that you can stay on that right road. And one of the first things that God says to them when they get to the base of Mount Sinai is, you guys, you guys are special, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. Not only am I going to keep you on the right road, I'm going to use you to keep others on the right road. You're a kingdom of priests, he says. You're a holy nation. Earlier in Exodus, Moses has, is told that he's going to be like God when he speaks to Pharaoh. So this isn't anything new in the book of Exodus. God saying he's going to use people, he's going to embody himself in people, is not new. God wants to use us as his kingdom of priests to bring deliverance to others in this world. And I think it's interesting, Kimber and I, I swear we didn't talk before the end, but it's interesting that that was kind of the theme of what she said. We can actually be used by God in people's lives just by being with them to bring deliverance in situations that just plain suck. So we've seen a little bit tonight about who God is through the narrative of the Exodus. God is our creator and our redeemer who is faithful to deliver us even in our un- even in our faithlessness. God is our redeemer who is faithful He is delivering us through Jesus even now. And we have seen a bit about who we are. We're God's kids who are loved by God. And it's not so hard to put ourselves into the story of the Exodus because it really is our story. We are born into bondage, into slavery. And we are yearning to be set free. Israel's story is really a macrocosm of our own story. And just as God redeemed and set free and delivered the Israelites, he is working to redeem and set free and deliver us from our sins, our addictions, our despair, and our loneliness. He is restoring relationship with us through Jesus. Have you experienced that liberation from your own Egypt? Are there ways that maybe you're still feeling stuck? In when I asked you to think about a time that you were stuck or trapped, Maybe you thought about something that you're in right now. I encourage you to cry out to God. He wants to deliver us. And I also encourage you to invite your community into that place because he wants to use your community, whether that's someone here on staff or a friend or a family member. Cry out to God 
and invite your community in. And then there's the so now what question. What do we do now that we know we uh, who we are and who God is? We talked about this already. We remember who God is and what God has already done. Write out your story. Read your Bible and see how God's been faithful through generations. We reorient our lives so that we are staying on the right road. We don't get distracted by every new road that comes along. And we reflect God's character back to God. We live lives that are faithful to God, that point others to God's redemption, and like Moses, lead others to deliverance. It's not about being perfect. In fact, that's exactly what it's not about. It's really about movement from Egypt to Sinai. We don't have to pretend to have it all together in order to live lives of, of remembering, of reorienting, of reflecting. We don't, in fact, what we need to do is realize how God has been working and just allow that to be our message. Living into God's liberation and redemption of us is how we live as a holy priesthood. Our lives already are a continual movement from Egypt to Sinai, from death to life, from bondage to bonding with God, and from slavery to worship. In the next five weeks, we're going to take a look at those Ten Commandments, the rules, the boundaries that God gives us to help us stay on the right road. But as as we do so, let's remember how God has been faithful. His deliverance of the Israelites and his deliverance of us and his restoration of relationship. Let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to uh, to hear for five weeks about the boundaries that, that you've given us, we do pray that you would help us to know your deliverance in our lives. Lord, um, for those who already feel like they are trapped in a situation, we pray for your continued deliverance in their lives. Lord, uh, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who is faithful, whether we have faith at any particular time or not. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your desire to deliver us. We love you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.